is Clayton Howe's Entertainment X. For part two with Sam Gravitt, we continue the conversation on fulfillment versus achievement. We also discuss morning pages, starting with creativity, and some standout advice. So I hope you enjoy part two with Sam Gravitt. Is there a particular role or project that has taught you the most about yourself or a significant amount? Yeah, I mean, I so I have had a four-year on and off journey with Wicked. And that began out of school. I started understudying on the tour and then I understudied in New York and then I took over the role in New York. So I, I've performed the show just over two years, but you know, fit in a pandemic and some other downtime between them. Uh, Wicked has taught me a lot and, and in many different sort of lanes of life. Um, being on tour was such an important experience for me, I think, as a 22 and 23 year old to just sort of learn, honestly, a lot about myself and, and living alone and, and what I needed um, and doing eight shows a week. Mm. Um, and then coming to New York and, and working on Broadway and making a Broadway debut and then taking over the role, like each iteration of Wicked has offered me a, a lot of lessons um, in terms of myself as a performer and it's been really fun to, I feel like track my, my growth <laughs> with my own metrics through the show. And, uh, you know, it's funny, Wicked is a show that makes you audition over and over and over again, even. So I did the tour and then I came in and they had me come into audition for the Broadway company, even though they had seen me. So yeah. I came into and I auditioned for the ensemble and I got the role. And then I went on a few times and then I left and then they brought me back into audition again for Fiero. And I, I got the role, but, and, and that can seem frustrating a little bit, but I say this because I'm grateful in a way, because I think that the Fiero that I was auditioning those probably eight different times I auditioned for Wicked. Right. I think that it was a better Fiero every time. And I feel like I left Wicked as a better Fiero than the one who started in, in February, 2020, or the one who started in September of 2021, when we reopened, like, it, I think that was just an important lesson in trying to stay hungry and find new things and dig and, and mine as much as you can when you're in a long contract like that. Um, I, I'll also just point out uh, the almost famous stint that I did. I, I did um, almost famous out in San Diego at the Old Globe in a room full of just amazing artists and, and actors and and it, that was my first proper rehearsal room to like start like doing a new musical with mm. with the team and the writers in the room a director there and it was i mean i just tried to sponge up as much as i could there because watching people like drew galing and salaya pfeiffer rehearse and being part of that and then watching cameron crow work and tom kitt work it it was just i mean I could point to a hundred different things I took away from that time, but uh, I'm really grateful for that experience as well. And I hope to be in rehearsal rooms like that as soon as possible, because that is, I mean, that was a ton of fun and um, really edifying beyond all things. I believe that. I believe there's something about, you know, like 
playing tennis against someone better than you. You always get better. Absolutely. <laughs> yes. Yes. So just being. I just did. I got my ass kicked this morning. Literally. <laughs> Shout out to Alexander Fish. There you go. There you go. There you go. I and that's a very interesting. Thank you for for um, cracking that open a little bit further with waitress. I think it's really interesting to hear how you know in a way it keeps you on your toes and serious growth because it's all active. It's a very active thought process each time you return to the piece. Yeah. Yeah. You said waitress. I think you meant Wigan. I'm, see, those, now yeah. I'm in the W's. And why did I <laughs> One say of those waitress? Guys. Maybe I'm like, I'm thinking I heard Drew. Probably because I then, said Drew. Yeah, yeah exactly. And we got go. Wicked and Waitress hey, and all this stuff. That's hilarious. Hi, Drew. Okay. Um, achievement versus fulfillment. How do you yes. balance the two? Or what is that thought process for you? Um, you know, I we love a soundbite. And I'm going uh, <laughs> to... Okay. Andre, Andre De Shields in his Tony Awards acceptance speech for Hadestown a few years ago uh, said there were three pieces of advice that he would offer. And the final one he said is, is that the top of one mountain is the bottom of the next. So keep, so keep climbing. Mm. And I think that just rings so true. I think that our, our dreams, our goals in any sort of walk of life are, um, are these sort of amorphous, uh, flexible, elastic things and you feel that I think I think every actor has felt that when they get the job and then all of a sudden it's like you know that there's no sort of um feeling like there's no sort of feeling of arrival really there is if um but I don't think if if you have that fire that has to burn in you to like to, to chase after this thing that we do. Um, I think, you know, there is, there is a sort of fine line between like contentment and complacency. And I think that you have to be wary of the latter, of course. Um, and that is not to say that you, we shouldn't, I think, I think that it is sort of one of the myths of the industry that we have to be hustling as hard as we constantly are because we are taught to operate from this place of scarcity. And that is sort of a symptom of, you know, a lot of the, uh, of a larger issue within what we do, but, um, I think that achievement feels more sort of uh, quantitative in a way to use that adjective loosely, but you know, you can point to different things that you've achieved. Like, Hey, Sam, you know, you did fear on Broadway check. Like you did an original cast check. Um, and then the fulfillment piece is, is a little more ephemeral, right? It's a little yeah. harder to nail down. Um, and I think that I'm in, in, uh, my development as an artist, I'm trying to hold more space for the fulfillment piece. Um, and I think that comes with um, acknowledging like the Sam who 10 years ago, if you had told him he was gonna play Fierro on Broadway, like would just be crying tears of joy. And I still, the, the Sam that's here right now still has those tears and, and is incredibly grateful. But sometimes, you know, when you show up to the Gershwin for the, eighth, the seventh or eighth show of the week, it can feel like work. And you're like, oh, you know, shit, like, okay, here we go again. And, and <laughs> yeah. the best thing that I was able to do during that contract was just sort of 
you know, every moment that I could take to zoom out and, and remind myself that I was living one of my dreams and one of so many millions of people's dreams to be up there on the boards and doing what I did eight times a week. Um, it's sort of a perspective question as well, the, the fulfillment piece. Um, but I also think it, it, the fulfillment thing goes hand in hand with like how much sort of creative license do you have? Which is why I think like doing Fiero was a, was a different sort of version of fulfillment than doing an almost famous where like I was in Fiero when you're stepping into a, a, a role that, that has its traffic set that has staging and, and, you know, there's, there's certainly wiggle room within it to bring yourself and, and hopefully that's what you do. And hopefully that's what I did and, and sort of, you know, shrinking the, the, the distance between Sam and Fiero and, and taking advantage of all of the crossover. Mm. But that is different from an almost famous where you're making a thing and, and you have a hand in like, you know, let me try this out in a rehearsal and see if this blocking sticks or works. Um, and that is a different sort of fulfillment. So I, I think for me, which is why writing is such a piece of it too, um, the fulfillment piece feels greater when there's a little more creative license. Yeah. Um, and I think, I think most actors would say the same. That's not um, a sort of epiphany, but um, that's why I think, you know, doing stuff like television is really sexy to me right now because it's new. It's, it's, it's on your feet. It's making decisions and choices in the moment. And that is a, that sounds really exciting and uh, fulfilling. <laughs> yeah. No, this is a really great conversation. I thank you for diving so deep with me here. You're absolutely right. And most, if not all, commercial theater is very much factor. It's almost factory work in a sense that you have to deliver the same thing each time because that's what's commercial for that piece. It's only in these, you know, developmental stages or in mm -hmm. TV and film. So it's, you're mm -hmm. absolutely right. And yeah. usually those fulfillment moments are just... Um, they don't, it's almost like they don't mean anything to anyone else. It means so much to you, yeah. you know, an achievement. Everyone's like, oh my God, you did this thing. And you're like, yeah, uh -huh. it's work. But there, and there is, there's the fulfillment piece in doing a long run, like finding the, when you find the, the doors into making it new and to making it alive every night, mm -hmm. that is fulfilling. I mean, that, that's the task of the actor really ultimately, right? Like that's what Stanislavski and Lee Strasberg and everyone were getting at. It was like, how do I do this thing over and over and over again and make it feel truthful and a lot. Mm -hmm. So when you can find those mechanisms, that is the greatest feeling too. Yeah. When you finish a when I finished a, a show of fear and I was like, okay, you know, that was fucking it like that, you know, and, and I tried to, you know, people have different ways, different methods, if you will, of, of entering in and finding the ways to make it truthful. Um, and something that was important for me is just sort of a sidebar. Um, in that long run was I, I had a notebook on my, on my station in my dressing room. Um, and every day before I went out, every performance, I, I, I tried to write down one or two things to try to discover that night, just questions, just mm. moments. They could be, you know, a line or two long, but to just try to keep it alive and not fall into all of my line readings and, 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 you know, physical gestures that, that were comfortable, but just, you know, if I could find one or two things that night, 
to to be new, to try in a new way. I think that was really useful to me over a long run of that sort. Um, and it helps, you know, it, it keep it from becoming static, which is, I think, one of the um, pitfalls of a long commercial run. Yeah. Do you have um, daily rituals or ways in which you start your day meditating, journaling? Yeah, writing? I do. Um, I was a uh, I was a morning pager for a while. I've I've, um, I've done the artist's way a couple of times with some important people, and and that I think has sort of yielded some of my own personal practices, which are not Julia Cameron's, but sort of my ways in. Hmm. Um, I try to start the day with something creative, you know, without picking up my phone, and like that could either look like picking up the guitar for twenty minutes with my coffee or. Um, opening the last script that I was working on and and trying to, you know, write a page or so. I try to start with creativity because I I found, um, and I had another mentor sort of uh, talk about this with me, a guy named Brian Herrera, a brilliant scholar, another professor from Princeton, um, theater historian. Um, And we were talking about writing and and, and he said, you know, you sort of have to test the different parts of the day and when your body wants to be productive Hmm. he said this and and brian said you know for me i know that writing in the morning i'll be good and then from 12 to 4 i'm just not going to produce anything and then maybe there's a kick of 90 minutes at the end of the day where i can spit out another few pages so part of having space and time over the pandemic and then now is is also trying to figure out when those rituals should fall for me sure as in like when when does sam when does my body want to be creative and i know that for me the morning is a piece is is part of that i also know that my body sort of kicks into gear around seven or eight every night as well Hmm. i think just after months and months and months of you know spending the day gearing up to be 100 percent at 7 p.m so that you can perform the body the body remembers that the body synthesizes that. And then all of a sudden I'll find myself around dinner time, normal people, dinner time, <laughs> like sort of having a jolts of energy or focus. And I try to take advantage of that in terms of my own um, creative output. But um, back to the ritual piece, uh, I would, I guess, yeah, you know, a morning coffee is important. And then um what other rituals do I have? I have more rituals when I work, I guess, but okay. uh, maybe this is actually, this is a good sort of uh, note for me to take away is uh, how, how can I structure a ritual into my day and it'll probably make it a little more fulfilling to yeah. use the word again. <laughs> it's, I tell you, it's all comes back together now. Come on, baby. <laughs> uh, that's no, that's great too. Cause yeah, I, I do find in the morning it's easier to, to turn out writing. You know, but every, yeah. some people are better at like midnight to 2 a.m. So it's, uh-huh. it's you got to find what works for you. Do you have any um, favorite books, most gifted books or any books? Yes. You enjoy? Yeah, for sure. Um, I read a lot of classics because of my deep fear of death and mortality. Um, <laughs> that's okay. like mostly a joke, um, but also not at all. Uh, I think Great Expectations is one of the great books. Charles Dickens is just... Um, very wonderful and hopeful. Uh, I I do gift Joan Didion often when I um, 
when I gift because um, she is a writer who always makes me want to write. And I was actually having this conversation with someone last night, but I, I feel like she she is sort of everywhere in in all prose post, you know, 1985. We've all in our ways tried to synthesize Joan Didion and, and failed at different um, levels. But um, Joan Didion's books, Slouching Towards Bethlehem, um, The White Album, Let Me Tell You What I Mean, most recently, those, those are books that I uh, send around when I gift, yeah. Uh, anyone else come to mind? I think those are good. Those are those are two sort of bullet points to start with. Yeah. Are there any common pieces of incorrect advice you hear within the theater industry or life? I was even okay. I was given this question to prepare, and I <laughs> I'm still uh, trying to come up with it. Um, incorrect advice. You know, it's such a it's such a nonlinear thing what we do that just the I feel like every piece of advice has that sort of asterisk next to it, while also like that and that also opens up advice to its own sort of um, elasticity. So I think that like, I'm going to turn this around and just say, use the advice that is that you find useful. And so much of this is about carving out a path. It's about finding what works for you because the, there sort of is no like road most traveled. There's no beaten path to, to what it is. And that's because everyone's career looks different. Every, what, what everyone wants looks different. And you have to find out what you have to be, I think, just sort of super intentional about what you want. And you have to go for it with everything that you have. So any advice that is, uh, that lights a fire under that for you, I think is good. I don't know that I've, that, that I can think of incorrect advice that I think gets thrown around a lot. Um, I would say that you don't, need to go to a BFA program to work in theater. Mm. Um, I would say that going to a BFA program to work in theater is a great path for many, many people. And so many of my friends come out of conservatory and have a whole giant toolbox that I didn't have when I came to New York. But I was able to sort of develop my own toolbox through classes, through study. I would say there is a sort of myth around the idea that you can sort of fall into acting. I think that we are fed that storyline a good amount by our media and culture. This idea that like you can sort of stumble into an illustrious acting career. And I would just dispel that immediately and say that like anyone else in, in any discipline, but especially in the arts where like playwrights and visual artists and musicians are working, are practicing hours and hours and hours and hours. Yeah. 
And I think the same has to be true of acting. You, you have to have a craft. You have to work and go to class and try things and fall on your face and find those spaces where it's super safe to do that. Find a space where you feel super safe trying out new things, pushing your boundaries, getting uncomfortable and work on your craft. So I would just dispel the myth of the accidental actor um, in terms of uh, incorrect things that float around the industry. I definitely, <laughs> I, yeah, I second that one because it, it is not all playtime. Yeah. <laughs> that's how it's covered. Right. Most was often. that a fair way of, of uh, turning your question around? Yeah, it was great. Sorry. It was great. Well, no, this is great. And this conversation has been so great. I got one more for you and then we can um, okay. wrap it up here. Metaphorically speaking, if you could put a word or a phrase on a billboard for millions of people to see, does anything come to mind? There's a phrase, it's, it's a sort of bastardization of Ray Bradbury. Um, it's in my Instagram bio. <laughs> <laughs> a funny way to qualify what I'm about to say but I I just think it's a beautiful phrase and um and I it's sort of like to me a, a sort of encapsulates the task of of the artist in a lot of ways but but the uh the turn of phrase is shout the universe alive um and I think it just it it, it is mobilizing to me it's a hopeful phrase to me shout the universe alive mm -hmm. and I think that um you know, we're in a moment where I think art is more necessary, not than ever, but art has always been necessary, but art is incredibly necessary right now. And I, I hope that we don't lose sight of that because sometimes it can feel like, you know, with everything going on, why, why am I not just like dropping everything and trying to work, hmm. you know, on gun laws and on, you know, other, other, why am I not in the streets marching for, for any myriad of reasons, but I think that what we do in its best forms um, does that to a certain extent. I think we have to believe that theater can change the world and uh, I certainly do. So um, I would throw up that, uh, that bastardization of Ray Bradbury all over the world and uh, do with it what you will because everyone's shouts sound a little bit different. This conversation, it's been wonderful. Thank you so much for taking the time. Yeah, Is I'm so grateful, Clayton. Thank you so much for uh, for having me on board. Of course, of course. Anything else you want to add here before we wrap up today? Not at all. Um, uh, just just grateful to be here, and uh, and uh, for all of you in in between jobs, I'm right there with you, and uh, I hope you can stay creative and uh, find uh, find ways to uh, shout the universal alive. People of the world. <laughs> Sam love the world. Sam grab it, baby. <laughs> Thank you, Clayton. I'll talk to you soon. You've been listening to Entertainment X, the podcast. You can follow Entertainment X on Instagram at underscore Entertainment X underscore. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join Clay next week for another curiosity conversation on Entertainment X. Thank you for listening.